Good morning. I greet you too in the name of Jesus. The one that came as a baby, died, rose again, and is going to return. To redeem his people, his chosen people, and his church back to himself. I want to welcome the visitors as well. Glad to have you here with us. Thank Wendon and Gary for laying the foundation for this sermon again. This wasn't my wasn't my week to uh, preach, but we did some switching. And again, my message goes is a continuation of our Sunday school lesson this morning. This morning, I'd like to uh, do my final message on the kingdom. Um, I want to look at his, look at the final kingdom when Christ returns for its church or when God calls us home through death and we find ourselves before an almighty God standing at the threshold of an eternal kingdom with the splendor and glory that surpasses anything that we have ever seen or experienced. And I'm sure John tried his best to describe what he's seen. And I just picture him looking back across the words that he wrote and shaking his head. And just, there's no words that people will be able to get a glimpse of what he's seen. <clears throat> and the subject will never be fully understood. And there are many things we don't know. And nobody knows exactly how things are going to take place and the details. But we are given some some glimpses of that eternal kingdom. And it's going to be amazing beyond our wildest imagination of what we can comprehend. This morning's message is going to be somewhat of a two-part message. Um, you can turn to Matthew 6 for the start. And my title comes out of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. In this prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and at the same time, he's teaching us as well. And this prayer, as I looked at this prayer, when I was looking at the title, does a very good job of tying the the last three messages of of the kingdom that I preached before this, seeking the kingdom, the kingdom within, and kingdom living. As you pay attention to the words that, that Jesus taught there in this prayer, pretty much sums up kingdom living in this in this one short prayer in these few verses. Who is God to us? What we desire from Him as His children. We recognize that He supplies our needs. Also looks at our interpersonal relationships with others. Uh, personal desire for purity in our own life, and then ends with worship. <clears throat> so Matthew 6, verse starting in verse 9, I think we'll read this together and we'll start in right in with the Lord's Prayer in the middle of uh, verse 9 there. Well, let's read it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Our Father, who is God to you? Who is he to me? Is he like a father? Do you think about pleasing him and doing what he requires of you, just as you did your earthly father when you were growing up? Is there a relationship between you and him? Which art in heaven. Heaven is God's kingdom, the kingdom that will exist forever and ever without end. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed has the uh, the meaning of sacred, holy, and God's name should never be used lightly. If we do, we are not remembering the holiness and the glory of God. And why does God res- uh, deserve this respect from us? Because He is the Creator of all things, and without Him we are nothing. He gave us the life and strength to come here this morning. And did you ever stop and think what would happen if God would stop caring about His creation for just one minute? He's in control of every single thing that exists down to each beat of our heart that pumps blood through our body. If He would stop for one minute, it would be chaos. But He loves us. He is holy. He deserves our respect. Thy kingdom come. And we looked at this a few weeks ago with uh, the kingdom within. This kingdom that already existed came down to earth first through Jesus and then was made available to all believers through the Holy Spirit. Thy will be done in earth as is in heaven. This is a very important part of understanding the kingdom within us. Um, Jesus is telling us that we should should be our desire to have that kingdom that is within us to function the same way that things function in heaven. And how do things function in heaven? That is according to His will. Wendon mentioned that this morning about being conformed to the will of God. The angels are in complete obedience to God's will. And when I pray this prayer, I'm telling God that I want His will in my life and that I am in complete obedience to that will. Give us this day our daily bread. We're asking God for daily needs. Not much more, not less. God is able to bless with more if He desires or less if He feels that is necessary. Either way, he should receive the thanksgiving. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we look at what God did for us through Jesus, we realize that that God owes us nothing. 
And when we pray this prayer, we acknowledge that we, if we don't forgive others in our life, we should not expect God to forgive us or ask Him to forgive us. You know, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. But this is on the other side of our salvation. We have no right to hold forgiveness from someone and yet expect God to forgive us when we go to Him for this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How would God lead us into temptation? And I don't think He does. We heard that discussed this morning. But I believe what we can get from this is that we ask God to keep His Spirit within our life. And that that Spirit of God is alive. And that it would not lead us into temptation, but would deliver us from all the evil that is around us. And I know we talked about this in probably every sermon of this kingdom, but we need to have that Spirit of God within our hearts. And it's not just a part-time thing. Our God never sleeps, and His Spirit is always working if we allow it to. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer begins with the acknowledgement of who God is and ends with praising and worshiping Him. We praise Him because this is His kingdom, not our kingdom. And God has all power in this kingdom to do what He wants, when He wants, and how He wants. And in everything, God gets all the glory. It doesn't matter how it happens, who's involved, God still gets all the glory. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Through all eternity without end. It's more than what our minds can comprehend. When did God's kingdom start? Has it always been? God has always been, has His kingdom always been? It started creation. You know, when Jesus arose, the Holy Spirit came down to man. You know, I don't know that we have an answer, but I want to consider this. If we believe the two kingdom concept and that there are only two kingdoms, that means that we are already part of this heavenly, eternal kingdom. You know, we looked at all this before as a kingdom here within us. Here on this earth, the church. But this kingdom is already part of an eternal kingdom that God has established. You know, we will not live forever here and will never be perfect here, but neither does God want us to walk around with long faces complaining that we still live in this evil world. No joy in living. No help to anyone around us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as is in heaven. Life for a born again Christian on this side of heaven should be a picture of heaven on earth. 
We should be anticipating heaven to the degree that this world is not our home, but not so much that we are no good for his kingdom till God calls us home to heaven. So, make a little switch here. Uh, Look at a few other things. Um, God, Jesus, judgment, light, darkness, life, death, heaven, hell. There are so many things that are part of our life that we don't totally understand or comprehend. Now, how do we look at God as a Father who loves and cares for us? Or as a God of judgment and wrath, a God in the Old Testament who brought instant judgment on disobedience? Or both? Because really, it's the same God. You know, we can say it wasn't fair to the people of the Old Testament because they didn't have Jesus. But He did provide a way for them as well. Through the priests, Many sacrifices. The way was made for them to remain right with God. And as we look at God through the Old Testament, we can almost always see His love for humanity in the times that He did bring judgment. You know, in Genesis 1, or beginning of Genesis there, when He brought judgment on Adam and Eve for their sin, but He, he spared their life. Because that was the best part of his creation. He loved them. But there was consequences. When sin got so bad here on earth that God would no longer look on it, he sent a flood to destroy it. Everyone except Noah and his family as they were living in obedience to him and they were saved. And there were many other people that uh, God chose to use to do His work that He mentioned their lives and their character. Uh, Daniel and his friends says they found favor with the eunuch. They were able to stay obedient and not defile themselves in a very difficult time. David was a man after God's own heart. Jesus' mother Mary was highly favored among women. God always provided a way to Him, whether it was the Old or New Testament. But there is also a lot of disobedience that God did bring instant judgment on people. How do we look at Christ's return and His judgment? We know we all come before God and our book of life will be open. We read these things. Christ is going to return in an instant when no one is expecting it. But do we need to fear? Does this need to taint our anticipation for heaven? I remember as a boy going to church, there was an older minister from a neighboring congregation that would come frequently. And I believe every time he preached, at least a lot of the times I remember, he would mention about all the things that going on around us, you know, famines, earthquakes, and at that time, I remember very well that the Gulf War was taking place, and he made comments about, 
our president sending troops over there and and he was just looking at these things as as being set up as as end times and he would always end with today Christ's return is one day closer than it ever was before and it would always give me this feeling of uncertainty and fear now there are many things we don't know we don't understand but when we know God when we know his son Jesus and we're living in obedience to his commandments we can have peace in whatever we face he will not save us and then want us to be fearful as we face unknowns But we know that we will come before God. And it says that every knee shall bow before God, not just those who rejected Him. It will be everyone. Romans 14, 11, 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Philippians 2, 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every single person that ever lived will bow before God, the one that knows everything about us. And will this experience be the same for the unbeliever as it is the believer? And as I pondered over this, I, no, I don't think it will be. For the believer, the unbeliever who rejected Jesus, the moment he sees God, and sees Jesus at his side, he will remember exactly when and where he had the opportunity to accept Jesus and he rejected it. He will remember the people who talked to him. And he made the choice to continue living in life without Jesus. And he will confess everything to God at that moment. And Delvin read a verse last Sunday when he was talking about the rainbow that is being marred by another movement in Romans 1 32 the last verse of that chapter that he read goes like this who knowing the judgment of God that they might commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them these people know and understand the judgment of God but not only do they do these things, but they enthusiastically approve those that do it and tolerate others who practice these things. And the believer will also bow. The moment that you see the glory and the splendor of God, and at the same time you see Jesus and the nail scars in His hand and feet, you will bow and confess that Jesus is your Savior. You will not bow in fear, but because of the deep gratitude and the awe, he feels there's nothing else you can do but worship him who has saved him and made him right with God. If our sins were confessed before God, before the judgment, they will not be mentioned again. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. 
Hebrews 10.17 And their sins and their inequities will I remember no more. For the young children this morning, you don't need to fear either. No, God loves you and He's the one that created you and brought you into this world at this exact time. And God has a lot of interest in your life. But there's one thing that He requires of each of you. He also gave you a commandment to follow until you get older and are held accountable for your life. And most of you probably know what verse I'm going to read. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. This is what God requires of you and your parents love you and desire to teach you the ways of God. And as you get older, you can make that choice to accept Jesus as your Savior. <clears throat> so how will Jesus come? <clears throat> will we know it when it happens? And these are not absolutes. These are thoughts. Each of you probably have your own picture in your mind. But there's a few things that are absolute. We're going to look at a few of them. There's two things that I think about when I think of Christ's return and what, how we will know. And that is the sound and the light that comes with Him. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And this same trump was sounded in uh, Exodus 19.16 when the children of Israel where God told them to meet Him at Mount Sinai. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. In verse 19, And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. So there's the sound of the trumpets that everyone will hear. And his light we're going to look a little bit at light and darkness as we go into this subject. We often use light and darkness referring to spiritual world, good and evil. But everyone will also experience light or darkness in a time, in a real way. <clears throat> Which is more powerful? Which is the dominant force, light or darkness? 1 John 1.5 this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So in the spiritual world, God is light and darkness or evil has no power unless that light leaves. Darkness can only come when God's light goes away and it fills that void that should be filled with light. And it will be the same physically when God comes back. 
for all the Christians and those that bear his light and separates them from those who rejected him. These people will experience a darkness that we can't comprehend. You know, we say things like, it's so dark it can be felt. This darkness, spiritually and physically, with with God's light missing, if he is light, if light is all-powerful, there's nothing that we can compare this darkness to. Because God's light, we know God's light. And once that once that leaves, there's going to be a darkness that we cannot comprehend here. <clears throat> there's also... I don't think I'll read it for sake of time. It's going to look at the... Uh, also in Exodus 33, where we have uh, Moses going up on the mountain. And what happened to him when he went up and seen God on the mountain? You know, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God said he would. But he said he'll place him in the cleft of a rock. He'll hide him in this crack. And he told him he would cover him with his hand. He would hold his hand in front of him. Till he was passed, so Moses couldn't see his face because he said, nobody can see my face and live. And as he passes, he will take his hand away and Moses will be able to see his back. And there's some questions whether he actually seen God or just the, the glorious light. But regardless of what it was that Moses saw, he came back down off the mountain And the others could not look on him because of the glory of God that was still radiating off his face. And Moses would talk to them and then he would veil his face so that he could face the people where they could look on him. We have other examples throughout the Bible. Angels that were present in the presence of God that came down as messengers often were seen as a dazzling light, and they too were radiating the glory of God. The transfiguration, and Jesus was changed from his earthly body to one of dazzling light. And Moses and Elijah came from the presence of God to meet with uh, Jesus there, and they too were dazzling light, to the point that the disciples fell to the ground and covered their faces Anyone who's in the presence of God will radiate his light. <clears throat> you know, no one will miss Jesus when he returns. Between the sound of the trumpet and the glorious light of God that is shining through Jesus because of his presence with God. You know, it doesn't matter if it happens on the clearest day of the year when we have the brightest sun possible. His glorious light will shine the sun, will outshine the sun many, many times over. You know, the Bible says that the sun will be darkened, and I believe in comparison, it will look very dim and dark. It will probably be just this dark round form that may look like a planet, but it will be not. We'll not be able to give light as in the presence of Jesus. 
It will be as nothing. It will be dark. And we often talk about being a light to the dark world. And is this just to look different, act different? It is, but if we experience God's love, if we get a glimpse of His kingdom in heaven and what He desires for His His church, it should be radiating His glory. We should be radiating His glory. It should be just oozing out of us because we cannot contain it within us. You can turn to Revelations 21, the remainder. Revelations 21, 23, and 24. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamp is the light thereof. And the nations of them that were saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor it. There will be no need for a light on the outside of the city shining into the city to give it light. But the, the light from the city will be shining out and radiating outside. There'll be, the light of God will be reflecting that it can't be contained inside this kingdom and it'll be just, it'll be just glowing outside. It cannot be tamed, contained within those walls. And I think we've all seen pictures of paintings, Heaven portrayed as a city with dazzling light that the light just around the top, the sides. It's just a beautiful sight. And with the best that we can do to paint this picture, I'm sure it's a, we fail miserably in doing this. Then the things we'll experience when we enter heaven. Oh God will be on His throne. Jesus will be there singing heavenly music. How many part harmony will they be singing? Loved ones there to welcome us. And I had to think of those that went on before. Those who have died and are there. I wonder if it seems like a long time to them as they wait for their family and friends to come. You know, we are still here limited in time. It seems like a long time that they're gone. But for those in heaven, they've traded time for eternity. And if a thousand years to God is as one day, I think it's the same for those that are with Him. And I believe it'll just be these short moments of time to them that we will be there to join them. You know, we're limited so much by this, this time. And... Sometimes it seems long. Years. 80 years, 90 years seem like a long time. But that's just a moment in heaven. Everything on earth will lose its appeal. Nothing back here will be able to turn our minds from what we are experiencing there back to here. Now John said that he seen the new Jerusalem coming down. Some places it says that we will go up with Him in the clouds. 
you know, how will it really happen? How will it really be? And I think these details are really insignificant. The most important thing is, are you ready? Am I ready? If we are right with God, the details and the order that they happen will not matter. If God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, then we can be more than confident that however He chooses to do it, we do not need to fear. Because we, as the bride of His church, is His most important creation, and He is looking out for our good. I'm going to read some more at the beginning of Revelations 21. And read 1 through 7. And this gives us some of what John saw. And there's really need, no need for me to try explain what it was, but as we, as we read these verses, we can get a picture of the beauty and what awaits. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride ordained, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat down upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of life, of the water of life, freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. <clears throat> a lot of things that we experience now that will not be present. You can jump down to 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me the great city and the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And he goes on to talk about the walls and the gates that are made of precious stone. The gates are going to be of one stone, one of these... Uh, Precious stones that is going to be without any uh, anything contaminating it. It's going to be clear. It's going to shine, and it's going to be God's glory that is going to be radiating off these precious stones, off these walls, off these gates. That is going to just illuminate and light everything for those that are there. Beautiful. Chapter twenty-two. And he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, a picture of water with no contamination and it's clear. And earlier he mentioned streets of gold. I don't think I read that 
but it's going to be gold so pure that it's going to look clear. It's going to be no flaw, nothing there. It's just going to be this, this light will be radiating off of these in uh, brilliant colors. It's the midst of the street of it. On either side of the river, there's a tree of life, which bears four manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nation. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever. He said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God and the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. When I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then he said, Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and thy brethren prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And to every man according to his work shall be. And I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loveth that maketh a lie. And I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and the morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. From this things which are written in this book, he which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As you probably heard, it's hard to even come up with words to try and give a picture of what this could be like, what it might be like. But I trust through his reading and what John gave us, we can all look forward to that heavenly kingdom.